Uh, it's Exodus 20, verse 14. It says this, uh, Do not commit adultery. So I looked at the road and saw that and thought, okay, that's going to be good fun to tackle. So um, that's what we're going to look at tonight. Uh, we're going to look, just to give you a little bit of a roadmap of where we're going to go, I want to take some time to uh, explore what society and culture, some of the messages that we get about sex and relationships uh, and sexuality, uh, and then look a little bit more about what Jesus says. What does Jesus talk, uh, say when he wants to talk about this topic? Um, and then just look practically uh, a little bit about how we affair-proof our relationships, if you like, how we invest in the relationships we have, how we guard our hearts, uh, and how we look uh, to build healthy faithful, self-controlled, pure lives. Because I think that's possible. I think when Jesus uh, came and said, I've come to give you life and life to the full, that involved that. I think that was part of it. So before we get into that, let's, uh, let's just pray for God to speak to us through his word. Father, your word is a word that brings life. So I pray now that you come by your spirit and take your word and write it on our hearts. Take your word and and enable us to apply it and to hear your voice through it. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, I think when it comes to sex, our society is quite confused and messed up. Um, when you look at the media, so TV, internet, I need to adjust my collar. Okay. Is that better? Is this side? Okay. Has anyone got a mirror? Guys, has anyone got a mirror? How are we doing? Is that better? Are we liking it? Okay. Thanks, boss. Let's talk about sex. Okay, so... That's going on the podcast too, isn't it? So, you look at our media. Um, am I, still, I feel like I'm, I'm so paranoid by collar now. How ridiculous. We're looking good. Okay. Perfect. So you turn on, look at our media. So we're talking about news channels. We're talking about newspapers. Talking about TV shows. Talking about movies. All these things. And all of them have something to say about sex. Advertising. Uh, most products that we use in our homes, I think, in some way, use sex or sexuality to encourage us to buy them. Toothpaste. Uh, I'm not quite sure why, but toothpaste, dog food, classical music, ice cream, all these things, that, you know, the advertisers use sex or images like that to encourage us to buy them. Now, I don't know about you, but for the last 20 years or so, until recently, I use Lynx shower gel and Lynx deodorant. Is anyone else kind of part of the club using Lynx? A few of us. Okay. I've stopped now because I'm old, so I'm not allowed to use links anymore because it's for young people. Um, thank you. I don't know, then. That was quite nice. Okay. So, I don't want to say, in 20 years of using this product, never once has a scantily clad angel fallen from the sky and come after me. It's true. Never once have I been pursued down the street by a number of beautiful models wanting to have a relationship with me. Never once. Sorry? Try a different one. I am. I'm on right guard now. It still doesn't work. I'm beginning to get paranoid. Anyway, no one has even commented on me wearing links. It's never, it's never had an effect on anyone else, including my wife. So I don't know why I bothered using it, because the adverts tell me, quite plainly, quite clearly, if I am to wear it... Now, I know I'm not the best-looking guy in the world. 
That's not for sympathy. I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> this is not going well. We're going to be here for ages. Well, I know I'm not the best looking guy in the world, but the advert says that if you're not the best looking guy in the world, this is what you need to do. You need to use links and it's going to work and all these girls are going to come flocking to me and it doesn't. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's not going to make a difference to my life in that way. It really isn't. And we're bombarded with promises like this, aren't we? We really are. Um, Buy this and you'll get the guy of your dreams. Wear these clothes and girls will fall at your feet. Wash your hair with this and the experience will be, well, something quite incredible. Really? Really? You know, we're told that sex is just something for our own personal enjoyment, our, you know, recreation, it's just, you know, a bit of fun. Or we're told that it totally fulfills us and it's the absolute pinnacle of of human experience. Really? We believe what we're told because these are the messages that come at us all the time. I was at the gym yesterday um, trying to improve my appearance and I was on the treadmill and, and there was a TV show, I don't know what TV show it was, on the screen. Now, when you're at the gym, you've got the music videos and the TV shows. I'm kind of running like this because actually some of that stuff on the screen, it's not hugely helpful because it tells me that unless I look a certain way, unless I act a certain way, you know, I'm not really very significant. I don't think that's true. I think the messages that we're given from the media about sex and relationships and all these things, they're just not true. A lot of them just aren't true. And if we take a moment to think about it, it doesn't take long to realise that. If sex is just for our own personal recreation and pleasure, how come there's so much damage done by one-night stands and quick flings and pornography? You know, if adultery is glamorised in movies and films, it's just you fall in love with someone and, you know, you just have feelings towards them. So, of course, that's okay. But we know in real life that actually that destroys relationships and tears apart lives and breaks society. So is it any wonder that, that the Bible has a lot to say about sex and relationships? And, you know, it's really positive. It's a God-given gift. God is not surprised at what people do. God knows where children come from. You know, God gave it as a gift. It's a good thing. But I want to look, in response to this, 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 this commandment in Exodus, do not commit adultery. How do we uh, avoid that? How do we tackle what the Bible says about this particular topic? Well, I want to go first to what Jesus says. So if you've got a Bible with you, if you haven't, do grab one from the back, because I want to use a couple of passages here, and it'd be really helpful for you. They might appear on the screen, but only in bits of the passage at a time. So we're looking to look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 to 30. That's Matthew chapter 5, 27 to 30. They're well-known words. You'll, you'll have heard them before, I'm sure. Let me read to you. You've heard it, that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. They're fairly strong words from Jesus, aren't they? That's... That's kind of concise to the point. It doesn't, it doesn't mince his words. 
Before I get into what Jesus says here, I want to actually define what we're talking about when we talk about lust. If Jesus says that, you know, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I say, if you, you know, if, if a man looks at a woman with lust in his heart, he's committed adultery with her in his heart. What, what, is, what is this thing called lust that Jesus is talking about? To do this, I want to go right back to the start of the Bible, into Genesis chapter 3. Again, you might know the story. God has created the heavens and the earth. And at the pinnacle of his creation is human beings. Man and woman, made in the image of God. And we come to Genesis 3, and, and in this passage we, we see the story of Adam and Eve in the garden in relationship with God. And, and the serpent comes to them and tempts them. And says to Eve, did God really say that if you eat from this tree that you'll die? Because you won't die, you'll be fine. In fact, you'll, you'll gain all knowledge and wisdom. And, and he shows Eve the fruit and says, just eat it. And this is what verse 6 says here. When the woman, when Eve, saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gain, gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. Just to say, there is nothing wrong with eating fruit. In fact, there was nothing wrong with Eve eating fruit. What the, the problem was, was it was with eating this fruit. Because this fruit symbolised something more. There was a promise behind this fruit. It was a false promise. Like the false messages we get. And the false promise was this, you'll never die. Eat this, you'll never die. And, and Eve in her mind conceived, I can have what I want. I can be who I want to be. I can make my own decisions. And the desire she had for that apple, or it might not have been an apple, for that fruit, was what was wrong. It was a promise that was never fulfilled. A promise that she would never die, and she did. And so lust, in this context, is taking something good, i.e. another person, and using them for our own gratification. He or she becomes it or that. It's looking at another person and mentally undressing them. Just like the fruit in the Garden of Eden, lust promises something that it cannot deliver, satisfaction. So we might say, if I had him or her, if I was going out with them, if I was in relationship with them, I'd be satisfied. And lust is built on that lie. We become convinced as we believe this lie that the grass is greener. And unless we have someone else, we cannot be happy. And what happens when we lust, when this starts to form in our mind? Well, we dehumanise someone else. We make someone less than human. They, a human being, becomes that, an object. And Genesis 1, 26, which is such an important verse for us to know, is that human beings, men and women, are made in the image of God. We bear his image. We are, we are valued immensely, eternally by him. So much that, that he sent his one and only son for us. And the Apostle Paul said that, that Jesus came and laid his life down for me. And the implication is that, is that each one of us individually are valued eternally by God. And when we rate someone just based on their physical attractiveness... We dehumanise them. We make them less than human. We destroy the image of God in them. And when someone else becomes the object of our private fantasy, we make that person less than the human being made in the image of God that they are. And it's not just that it damages other people. It's that lust impairs our ability to relate to others. 
Um, it tears apart friendships, marriages, relationships and society. And it leads, at worst, to, to all kinds of horrendous things. This word lust, it comes from the word, uh, Greek word, epithumia. And that's kind of two words together. Epi means into, and thumia means the mind. It's into the mind. It's in our minds that lust happens, in our hearts. That's why Jesus comes straight for the heart. In fact, all the Ten Commandments, coveting coveting is obvious, that's about the heart. But all of the commandments, really, it's about the, the concern of the heart. It was never just an outward thing. It's always about our hearts. But, but this word lust, epithumia, we fantasize in our minds about someone else. And as that grows, as that becomes more, it's our, what happens in our hearts affects our actions. Jesus said it's out of a person's mouth that, that speaks, that's what reveals their heart. So what happens inside, in the secret place, that's what comes out. That affects our actions and it can direct our steps into darker and dirtier places. Whilst convincing us that satisfaction is just around the corner. And when we continue to pursue that lie, we, we fall into despair. Because lust demands more and more and delivers less and less because it's an idol. And that's what idols do. You feed an idol, it wants more. You bow down and worship something other than Jesus. It demands more and more and more. And even you can enter a cycle of addiction and hit rock bottom. And that's why I think Jesus uses strong language. That's why I think he gets to the point when talking about lust. It's not just harmless fun. It is the place where adultery begins. It's the place where marriages are destroyed. It's the place where lives are torn apart. It's the beginning of addiction and despair. Let's not hold back on it. Lust can destroy our ability to love others and dulls our senses to good things. So when someone says something like this, I'm just looking at the menu, I'm not ordering the meal. Or, there's nothing wrong with a little bit of window shopping. What we're doing is referring to someone else as an it, or a that, or an object. Or a possession. We're dehumanizing people. We're tearing them away from the image of we're tearing away the image of God that's within them. It's the same when we look at pornography. We're dehumanizing a person, a human being, made in the image of God, and, and we're destroying our hearts and committing adultery. And I wonder for some of us, I'm sure, we know the depth of despair that, that lust can bring. Because we've fallen into a trap, we've fallen into it, or because we've been the object of it. Sometimes you can just tell when someone's looking at you. Sometimes you can just tell, you just don't feel comfortable around a person. We don't need telling how bad it is, actually. We don't need telling when we really think about it, that what our media tells us, what the world tells us about sex and relationships, you know, actually it's not true. It's a good thing. It's a gift from God. It's something to be celebrated in the right way, in the proper place. But it's also something powerful and dangerous. Um, Bishop Tom Wright, who used to be the Bishop of Durham, talks about sex in this way. And he says that if you imagine sex is like a fire, and in a house you have a fireplace, and you put the fireplace in the fire, you light the fire, it warms the house. It brings light. It's great. It's lovely. Wonderful. Good. But when you put the fire in the middle of the carpet, the chances are it can do immense damage. It might not burn the house down, but it might. 
It's a good thing. Let's not think that, you know, Jesus or God or anyone is, is anti-sex or anti-relationships or, you know, just wanting to mess our fun up. The thing is, the truth is, and the reason that Jesus is so firm about it, is it, that it destroys and it kills. Remember that verse in John chapter 10, verse 10. It's one of the key verses in my life. The thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. Jesus says, but I have come that you would have life. In all abundance, to its fullness, overflowing. The thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. To destroy your ability to relate to others. To to kind of numb and dull our senses. To make us think that God is mean and cruel. But Jesus said, no, I've come that you might have life. That you might have fullness of life in your relationships. That you might have fullness of life in your marriages. Fullness of life in every way possible. And the other thing you need to know about this is that all of us, because of the fall, because each one of us has, you know, fallen from from God, if you like, sinned and made mistakes, all of us actually are broken in this whole area. All of us stand equal before the cross of Jesus. So you might sit there and think, well, I'm not as bad as them, or I'm not as messed up as them, or you might feel, if only people knew, they would never talk to me. All of us stand equal before the cross of Jesus Christ, in need of his grace and in need of his mercy. And the great news is, the wonderful news is, he accepts us, he meets with us, he comes to clean us and forgive us. So I I guess that's kind of, not bad news, is it? It's just, I think, reality. Sometimes when it hits us, and as I've been preparing this and reading and praying through this, I found it quite stark and it's really challenged me. So how do we go, how do we deal with this? How do we make our relationships great? How do we deal with lust? How do we uh, build great marriages? I think it is possible to be, to, to, to have self-control. I think that's one of the fruit of the spirit. It's one of the fruit of the spirit. I think it's possible to live lives of purity, of faithfulness. I think it's possible to have marriages that thrive, not just survive or even die. So what I want to do now is just take a, a moment or three to look at uh, how we might affair-proof our relationships. Uh, And then I want to take some time to look at how we seek purity, how we deal with this thing called lust that Jesus talks about. So firstly, how do we affair-proof our marriage or our relationships? Um, I think the first thing is, is to go at it with a positive attitude. And I'm not just talking to people here who are married, I'm talking to all of us in our relationships, how we build faithfulness. Um, but I am talking to those who are married in one sense, because no marriage relationship is perfect. If you've been married for more than an hour, you realise that. You know, because we're part of it. You know, it includes, my marriage includes me. Therefore, my marriage is definitely not perfect. Um, Nell brings the kind of side up quite a lot, but, you know, it's still got me in it. Because all of us have vulnerabilities and all of us have insecurities and all of us are sinful in different ways. But it still means that our marriage can thrive, our relationship can grow. You know, it might be that we have a vulnerability where we're in need of love and acceptance. It might be that we're going through a difficult time in our relationship. And we don't feel that our needs are being met in that relationship. And maybe you couple that with a growing relationship somewhere with someone who does seem to meet those needs, who comforts us and is a listening ear, and you can find a recipe for disaster. That's why it's so important that we invest in our relationships, that we, we put money in the bank, if you like, in, in, in our marriages. And I just want to say there are four things I think are really important. Um, the first is, is quality time. 
If you're in a relationship with someone else, one of the big things we have to do is invest quality time. And, and not just a little bit of quality time. You know, sometimes we say, well, quality is better than quantity in our relationships. Well, in marriage, it's like quantity of quality is really important. A quantity of quality time is really important. So we invest and build our relationship. We get to know one another. It's also a thing about honesty and responsibility. Just being honest with one another about our brokenness. Being honest with one another about where we're at. Communicating well. Taking responsibility where things are going wrong or where we need to, uh, to sort things out. You know, that means resolving conflict quickly. Paul's advice. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Investing in our marriages. Investing in our relationships. And it means a real investment in romance. And, you know... I think whatever, you know, there are so many books and pieces of advice on how to do that. You know, book, great book called The Five Love Languages, if you've never read it. I just highly recommend that book on how to invest in different ways in kind of, in your relationship with someone else, in your marriage relationship. Romance, treats, gifts, whatever it might be, spoil one another. I can't take enough time tonight to look at any of those in any detail. You could do an evening on each. Um, but what I would really love to encourage you, if you're married, um, and uh, I would love to encourage you to join the marriage course next term that we're taking place. It's a great investment in your relationship. Um, if you're um, planning to get married, get involved in a pre-marriage course. We run them here at St. Paul's. If you're thinking of getting married, or if you're in a relationship, and you just want some help and advice, seek help and advice. Invest in your relationship. People are there to help. There are people further along the course than you who'd love to invest in you and encourage you. But invest in your relationship. It's really important to do that. I do realise, and I want this as a, to kind of say this uh, to now, that all of this talk of relationships and marriage can feel very exclusive and excluding to those who aren't in a marriage relationship or aren't in a relationship and long would long to be. And I want to say this, that I think another message that we get from the world is that we're never fulfilled unless we're in that kind of romantic relationship with someone else. That we're never fulfilled if we're not sexually active. We're never fulfilled, really, unless we're in that place. But I think if we look at the life of Jesus, that's another message that's not true. It's that Jesus himself never married and never had sex. He was tempted in every way, but didn't sin. He was tempted to lust. He was tempted to dehumanize someone else, but he didn't do it. And he lived the most fulfilled life of all time. Now, he was never on his own. And, you know, Genesis 1, back to the beginning of creation, that we're made not to be alone. But I want to encourage us, all of us, to take responsibility of building community with one another. To do life together. To involve one another in our relationships. To invest in friendships. And I think to say that just jumping into any old relationship because of, out of fear, we have to beware of making any decision out of fear. Because fear is a terrible decision maker in all sorts of things. But in this area, I think particularly, let's invest in our friendships, enjoy one another, and hold on uh, to what God has for us. So we need to invest in our relationships, invest in our marriages, do all we can to build strong relationships. And the second thing is this, is alongside that, we need to deal with lust. We need to be real about it. We all struggle with it. It happens. Sometimes when someone catches our attention across the street. 
someone, you know, we suddenly get into a conversation and we kind of feel those warm feelings towards them and think, crumbs, that's not great. Or maybe we think, that is great, I'm enjoying that. Or we see something on the TV screen or we go looking for stuff on the internet. Whatever it might be, we, we can find ourselves tempted really easily. We can find lust growing in our heart if we're not careful. So let's remind ourselves of what Jesus says about lust. He says, you know, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Jesus says that we need to deal really quickly, really firmly, really decisively with, with, with anything that causes us to lust. It's drastic and firm action. And I do want to say this, and forgive me if this isn't helpful, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, in love, genuinely, if you are in an adulterous relationship with someone else today, can I say clearly and firmly, please stop and stop it today. I know it causes pain, I know it's hurtful, but it has to end. And there's help and support and, you know, guidance that can come after that. You know, I have friends who've had significant trouble in their marriages and seen them completely restored. But please, if, that's, if, if you're in that situation, I just wanted to say at this point now, please seek help and support. If your relationship has been damaged in any way, there's help and restoration and hope. It's not the end of the line. The second thing is this. Is some of us, sometimes we can find ourselves in a place where we're starting to be tempted. Um, I heard a really, this is a true story. It was um, a woman who was commuting to work on the train. And uh, she sat on the same train, same carriage every day, and, and you know, sat across from her on the train was uh, a guy, and, and they travelled together every day, and they got, got to know one another and became friends. And, and she realised, she was married, she realised that, that this friendship was becoming, she would really look forward to seeing him in the mornings. It would really brighten her day, and she'd really miss him when he wasn't there. And, and she realised that she was developing feelings for, for this guy, uh, and, and she didn't know what to do. And she wanted to be faithful to her husband, and she was really torn... So she turned to her husband and said, I, I need to talk to you. This has happened. You know, I, I feel, I've been traveling on the train. I've, nothing's happened, but I can feel these feelings growing. I'm so sorry. Can you help? And her husband said, thought for a moment, and really wisely said this. I think you need to get another train. I think you need to get another train. Maybe we need to get another train. Maybe we need just, there are some relationships in life which just actually, our marriages are more important. Our relationships are more important. We need to get another train. I want to talk for a moment or two about the whole issue of pornography. Because that is a huge issue in our society today. A huge issue to, to different people. And I want to talk just how we deal with lust in that area. Because, again, that, that's an area where we can commit adultery in our hearts and it can affect us so badly uh, in different ways. It's, it's not a, you know, I, I, I spoke this morning about this. Anyone here a big fan of Friends? You know, the TV show that finished a few years ago? I love Friends. I, I really do. But the messages that they give about porn and about sex are awful awful <laughs> even though it makes me really laugh not good <laughs> and 
And so that kind of lies to us, it's all right, you're just kind of having a look. Again, it comes back to, but we're dehumanising people, we're affecting ourselves, it changes us. So I want to say really quickly just some things about how we can deal with that. And again, it's something we could cover in a lot more detail. But firstly, Jesus says, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. Now, don't actually gouge your eye out. Uh, One of the early church fathers did castrate himself. The thing is, it's an issue of the heart. It's not an issue, a physical outward issue. It's an issue of our heart. We need to deal with it. And the first thing I want to say is, find someone of the same sex that you trust, you can talk to and confess it. Get it out. Get help. You'll never get free on your own. You'll never be able to deal with it on your own. It's impossible. Confess your sin and repent. Turn away from it. Deal with it radically. Deal with it tonight. You can be free. Jesus came to set the captives free. He came to set us free. It might require some immediate action. It might require some immediate practical things that you can do. It might mean that you need to cancel some TV channels that you subscribe to. It might mean that Sky, everything you can ever get for £20 a month, isn't the greatest idea. It might be that you need to install some software on your computer or your iPhone or your iPad or whatever you've got. or And some accountability software. Um, on my computer, I have something called Safe Eyes. It's a kind of children, kind of family protecting, internet protecting thing. It's great. I can't watch anything. I could try for ages and wouldn't be able to get there. It's really helpful. Really helpful. Get it. Put it on your computer. You know, the websites it blocks aren't good websites. The only person who knows the password to turn off Safe Eyes is my wife. So I have to ask her permission if I want to look at a website that it blocks. And then she wants to say to me, well, what would you want to look at that for? It's good to do. I also have a soft thing on there called X3. It comes from a great organisation in the States called triplexchurch.com who work with people who struggle in this whole area. And so if I visited a website that wasn't particularly wholesome, there's a couple of emails that fire out to people I know, one of which is my wife. It's quite a deterrent. Let's be real and honest. We just need... That's not going to deal with it on its own. It's an issue of the heart. It's not going to stop you, but it, it, it kind of helps. It's like, you know, it's like someone who's struggling with any kind of addiction if you, or any kind of thing that's tempting. If, if you just cut the source off, it makes it harder to get and it's easier to resist. We're to flee from temptation, actually, not resist it, but, but I think that's something to do. So we need those things where we just take immediate action, deal with the problem. And we need healthy boundaries. In our relationships and our dealings with lust, we need to establish healthy boundaries. Job, in the wonderful book, says this, I have made a covenant, in, a covenant with my eyes not to look at a woman lustfully. And we can turn that either way. I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look at another man. I've made a covenant with my eyes not to betray the one I'm married to. I've made a covenant in, with my eyes not to dehumanize another person. So we need to think about the time we spend with people. You know, um, if I need to travel in the car on a long distance with, or a distance with, with someone of the opposite sex, I always tell Mark, I always tell Nell. That's, you know, might think, crumbs, you're a bit kind of weird and protective. I don't care. I don't care what anyone else thinks, honestly. Because that for me is really important, that I'm accountable for my time. I have, on, I have healthy boundaries. You know, maybe for us, we just need to not stay up late, not watch TV. If we haven't got something, you know, one thing that, you know, you could do is just record everything you want to watch and watch it another time so you're not flicking through and that looks really interesting, you know, that kind of thing. And that we have people that we can pray with and be honest with you will ask us difficult questions. 
but who love us and are gracious with us and will lead us to Jesus, which is where I want to go now to finish. There are practical things we can do, is what I'm saying, to try and fulfill that commandment, do not commit adultery. And I come into land with this. Can we turn to John chapter 8, verses 1 to 11? This is the final word from me tonight on this. But I want to read this passage. And I want to make four points really quickly. And then we're going to pray. So John chapter 8, I'm going to read from verse 3 to verse 11. Again, a well-known story. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If anyone here is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Four things. Firstly, Jesus restores her dignity before he does anything else. He puts the focus on the judgmental crowd and exposes their hypocrisy. Jesus does not condemn her, but he does not condone her. And he calls her to repent and live differently. Some of us will come tonight knowing the brokenness we have in our hearts, in our lives with this issue. Some of us will come tonight having been broken by lust. Some of us will come tonight feeling like we've been dragged out and hauled in front of a crowd. We feel humiliated. We feel despair. And what does Jesus do to her and what will he do to us? His first thing is he wants to restore our dignity. To remind us that we are men and women made in the image of God. That image may be tarnished. In all of us it is. But Jesus comes to restore it. Please hear me this evening. If you come feeling condemned, Jesus doesn't condemn you. If you come here tonight feeling like you've been exposed, Jesus puts the focus on judgment, on judgmental hypocrites before he puts the blame on you. Here tonight, you can know freedom. We can know freedom. I'm as sexually broken as other people in the room. We know we all carry brokenness in this area. We can know freedom. We can know that Jesus really is the answer to this. Jesus really wants to bring us into a new life. But Jesus does call us to repent and live differently. Before he calls us to repent, he restores us. But he does say, go and change the way you live. And he leads us, firstly, to the cross. Because the ultimate expression of love, which is the opposite of lust, is sacrifice. And Jesus shed his blood, sacrificed himself on a cross for us, that we might be free. And that's what he offers us tonight. If we're stuck, he offers us freedom. If we need forgiveness, he offers us forgiveness. And he leads us.